Welcome to the Deeper Podcast. Our goal is to help you go deeper in God's Word and to grow deeper in life application. I'm Doug Taylor, and I'm joined by Dr. Dave Vance, author, pastor, and now podcast guest. Tell us a little bit about the podcast you were on, the national podcast. Yeah, I had a great, great opportunity to be on the Unseminary Podcast, all the things you wish you'd learn in seminary and didn't, uh, and uh, with Rich Birch. It's a national podcast that really connects with pastors and church leaders, and I got to talk about a very interesting topic it was it was a it was a lot of fun uh talking about what do you do when things are going well and uh it was a topic about you know many 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 places many churches many podcasts talk about what happens when things are going bad but what happens when things are going well and so we talked a little bit about uh about how uh, ministry success is just as difficult as ministry struggle and so we talked about what that looks like in ministry and it was a great honor to be on that podcast and uh, a lot of fun Dave, I got to confess that I do not really like dealing with numbers and dealing with finance. My wife does a lot of that. She's a math teacher. And just recently, I had some financial things I needed to do. So my buddy in Michigan, I just had him call my buddy in Pittsburgh, and the two of them kind of figured it out and told me what to do. It's one of my least favorite things to do is to kind of deal with finances. I do it and I have to do it. And I even run my dad's finances and his estate, but I don't enjoy it. Do you think I'm alone in that? No, no. Um, You know, statistically, people hate talking about finances and especially in the church world, there's a like a nervousness that everybody feels uh, when the pastor brings up finances or financial planning. In fact, uh, just some funny stats uh, about people impacted by uh, by finances. Uh, there was a study done and they found that 32% of people would rather go to the, the DMV than work through a detailed financial plan. Uh, 20% would be willing to spend an hour in jail rather than build a future financial plan. 34% of people would rather share an embarrassing photo of themselves on social media than to screenshot their bank accounts. I thought that was funny. And then the one that topped it all off that really got me was 17% of people would, would leave their significant other before they would want to leave their bank. Wow. That just tells us how nervous we get when we talk about money, finances. People don't even want to change their bank. Uh, it, it makes them nervous to think what's going to happen on the other side of that. And so it is a topic that uh, that gets a lot of scrutiny from people. It, whenever it's brought up, it, it seems to be a bad topic. But I would argue we're bombarded with this constantly. I, I was driving here and listening to the radio, and there were two ads asking for money. And it's interesting how we're bombarded with this idea of bigger, better, newer, more. Bigger, better, newer, more. More things, bigger things, newer stuff, uh, advertisements. And then on top of that, you put, now give the charity. And, and so when that happens, there's this pressure that we feel uh, about this idea of giving. Since we feel that pressure and talking about money can be awkward, let's do that right now. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> let's, let's dive right in. We were in this uncommitted series. We've been talking about things we uncommit to so that we can commit to good things. And we're in Luke chapter six. But let me start out by asking you, have you ever given money to a gospel cause? I have, you know, and uh, obviously to the church, some other ministries that we support. I know for me, when we first started, when when my wife and I, Allison, got married, uh, I remember the strain it was to give for the first time. Uh, we, we were below the poverty line. We were a young married couple. Uh, we felt convicted that this was what God was asking to, us to do. And so I remember writing out that check for the first time. This is before online giving. I'm writing out the check to the church for the first time. And there was a nervousness. Are, are, are we going to go under because we're doing this? Uh, and it was amazing the journey that God has taken us on of, of living open-handed, living in generosity. It was that moment of fear that led to increased faith 
that then said, you know what, this is worth it. This is worth giving up, uh, giving up what we view as valuable to say, God, it's really yours. And uh, then we just launched a campaign a, a couple of years ago, and that was a big, uh, we made together as a family, a significant financial investment into a campaign for Crossroads. And uh, we, we, we said, let's sacrifice a little bit here. And, and that was another big step of faith for us to do that on top of our regular giving. How about you? Have you had those moments? Yeah, for sure. Kind of the same thing. We made the decision about a year ago that we were going to up the percentage that we're going to give. We give to the church, certainly then two other um, nonprofit Christian organizations that we give to, and we were going to up that percentage. So there's a little bit of nervousness there when you decide to do that. So, uh, but how does it make you feel when you do it? When when you give over and above, how does it make you feel? You you know, there's always going to be trepidation at first. There's a little bit of nervousness, uh, what happens if it doesn't go well? Uh, but then once you get past that, there's this this feeling of faith. Faith begins to rise, and you realize, wait a minute, the, the saying that says you can't outgive God becomes a reality, and you see that God blesses faithfulness and giving. And so uh, our faith begins to rise, and our confidence in God begins to increase. And uh, I know I've seen that in 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 my journey of giving, uh, and I know many people that have taken that step have said, you know, at the beginning I was scared to death, and then as it got into it there was faith that began to increase. I want to look at this parable in Luke 16, but Jesus talks about money a lot, doesn't he? Like one third of what he talks about is money. That's right. 38 parables, 19 of them talk about money, finances, or stewardship. So pretty significant. In fact, it's a theme of the Bible. I don't don't know if you know this, Doug, uh, 2,100 times this idea of giving, stewardship, and finances comes up. That That is four times more than the word love. It's, it's five times more than the word prayer. So it's a significant amount of, of discussion in the Bible on giving finances and stewardship. So it's a theme. Can you set the, set the scene, set the tone for what's going on in, in this chapter here in Luke? Yeah, Luke 16 is a, is a parable that follows Luke 15, which is one of the well, most well-known parables, the parable of the prodigal son who goes and wastes his father inheritance. And I find it interesting that Jesus, on the back end of this, follows that great parable with a parable on stewardship. And the story that Jesus shares is about a rich man who owns and clearly is a business owner. He owns some businesses that have some investments coming in. And it says the manager is wasting the owner's possessions. This manager is a steward. He is responsible for the owner's goods, the owner's property, the owner's uh, supply. And he goes and he's wasting it. And so uh, the manager, the owner hears about this and comes to the manager and says, hey, you've got to give it an account. Uh, this isn't good. And so the, the steward ends up in a very wise way, thinks about what he needs to do to save his family. And so he says, he says I might have, not have a job tomorrow. So he goes to the debtors and he says, here's what I want to do. I want to cut it in half. So the one he cuts in half to the second one he cuts uh, by 20%. And he said, just pay off the debt. I'll cut it by 20%. So he gives him a, a discount, a discounted rate. Most scholars would say he was really get, taking away his personal income. He was actually doing this for free. He would have been slicing off the top of that, that profit. And so he was actually taking away the profit from himself. But he does this, and uh, it's eye-opening because the owner responds in a very unique way. Um, but we find he responds to this moment where he knows his future is going to change. So the steward reacts to the reality of his future news. And why do you think uh, Jesus commends this steward for, for doing this? It seems like it was a little bit of a shady thing he was doing, but yet he gets commended. Yeah. Yeah, and Jesus says, kind of uses the the picture of the story that the, the, the owner actually, the master actually commends him. And it says because of his shrewdness. 
And then Jesus says, for the sons of light are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of the sons of are the sons of this world are, are more shrewd than the sons of light. The idea is this man became fully aware of his future and then he enacted, he acted boldly. I mean, he went to the owner's debtors and said, cut it in half. Uh, let's just let's just make a deal together. And what he was doing was looking out for his own good in the future. And what Jesus really is saying there, what Jesus is giving us an analogy of, is it's not just about our future in retirement. It's about our future in eternity. That that really for you and I, we should be just as shrewd as the manager who looked out for his future as we should be looking out for the future that we have in eternity with the finances and the goods that God has given to us. And that, that seems to be the point that Jesus is making is just like this man was shrewd, and that word means wise, prudent, we ought to be shrewd as a sons of light about eternity, our future. And people listening might be thinking to themselves, you know, why should I give? Why should I give money? Uh, and um, how much of my money should I give God? What would your answer to that? How much of my money should I give God? You know, and that is the penultimate question that reveals everything about our view of giving. And, and I, I mean that sincerely is we ask two questions. We say, how much of my money do I need to give to God? And how much of my money does God want to me to keep? And the common denominator in both of those questions is my money. Um, and what's interesting is we read the scripture, it's not our money. In fact, over and over again, we find these verses that talk about everything is God's. Everything we have is, is God's. All our finances, all of our houses, our cars, our, 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 even our, our kids, our families, our spouses, they're all God's. God has given them to us. And so everything that we have is based upon a stewardship. In fact, I would dare say there's not an arena on earth where we can say this is mine. Everything that we have belongs to God. And so when we talk about when we talk about giving, it starts with a mindset that everything is God's. If you don't have that mindset, this conversation becomes awkward. It becomes a struggle. But when we understand everything is God's, this is a, a good conversation to have because we're trying to determine what to do with God's money, God's finances, and God's property. And so, you know, I would say as we look throughout the Bible, we see this, this glimpse into tithing and offering, tithing and giving, tithing and sacrifice. Uh, from the very beginning, from Cain and Abel, uh, they, they sacrificed to God as a picture of worship. Uh, Noah, when he first got off the boat, on the boat for 360 days, 370 days, he gets off the boat. The first thing he does is he makes an offering to the Lord to, to say, Lord, you, you're honored for saving us. We, we then come to the, the, the law and God adds into the law this, this tithe principle. It actually starts with Abraham. A Abraham tithes to a king called Melchizedek. And in order to honor him, he gives him 10% of all that they want in battle. And then we find the law where in Leviticus, we find this verse that says uh, to give the Lord a tithe of the land, the tithe of the seed, the tithe of the, tithe of the, uh, the fruits, tithe of, of everything that we have to give this tithe. And what tithe means is a tenth. It's a tenth of what we own. And then we come to Deuteronomy and it talks about the first fruits that we give the first fruits of all, all, all these, all these things that we have. So here's a picture. Here's the pattern that we see in the old Testament. We find this idea of tithing a 10th and we give God the 10th, but we also give God what is first. So that 10th comes off the top. It comes off everything that we have and say, God, this is yours. And what it is, it is a declaration that says, God, I know that you own everything. I know that all I have is yours. And that's where we find this this picture of giving a tenth of all things. And what do you say to someone that says, yes, I want to give. I even want to give more than 10%, but do I need to give it to my local church? Yeah, you know, here's, here's what I would say. 
there is one return on investment that we find throughout the scripture mentioned, especially the New Testament. And that is the local church, because a local church is the, the gospel proclamation entity of the world. Now, I'm all for parachurch organizations. I think it's a healthy thing that we have parachurch organizations that are out into the world making a huge difference. And, and I know we as a church support many of those. I know personally, I, I support a few of those. Um, but, but the reality is it starts in the local church, that if the local church is doing what they're supposed to be doing, uh, then that partnership with the parachurch becomes natural. And so I would say our giving should start with the local church and then it bridges past that. So the 10% of the local church, it could be more than that. As God lays on your heart, this idea of generosity, and that's the picture of the New Testament, is the tithe becomes a basis, and now the generous heart becomes the response. And uh, by, by the way, Doug, 1 Corinthians 16, Paul describes this pattern in the local church. Uh, I'll read this verse, uh, for six, 1 Corinthians 16, 1. It says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the church of Galatia, so you also are to do, on the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. So this image is this heart of generosity is given to the local church as our hands are open to give back to what God has done and allow him to multiply it. That's great. Many of you probably have heard of a book called The Treasure Principle by yeah. Randy Elkhorn. That, I think that's a great book. Have you read that one? I have, yes. Yeah. It, it really helps all of us. We all have the tendency to factor out eternity when we make financial decisions. And what we need to remember, heaven, not earth, is our home. And that Treasure Principle book, I re really recommend it if you haven't read that. Um, Dave, you kind of had a quote that, that you'd said earlier. Can you can you kind of close us out with that quote? Yeah, and 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 before before I give that quote, I think one thing I just want to add is you know when we think of this idea of the Old and New Testament and the tithe, or do we follow the law or not? And here's what I would say, because that's a big question I get a lot of: is well, are we supposed to be tithing because that's Old Testament? I would say what tithing does, a tenth does, is it opens our hands, it t pries our hands off of our things with a minimal effort. So that now our hands are open to be able to give out of a heart of generosity. The New Testament correspondence to giving is not the law, it's generosity. It's that we have Christ dying for our sins, rising again, ascending into heaven, promising to come again. And now the call and commission to go proclaim that becomes even more generous than the law prescribes. And so I would say if you're wrestling through, well, that's an Old Testament law, you're right. Um, but but what we find in the New Testament is that the tithe is not the not the ceiling. It's the floor. It, it's the beginning. It's a starting blocks of running that race of a, of a, of a life of generosity. And uh, that quote you mentioned, it says there is no denying that all we have comes from God. A as a result, faith and finances are deeply intertwined. The, the problem is that the more you have, the more it can have you. So God established tithing as a pattern of financial stewardship, very important, a pattern, not the pattern of financial stewardship. Tithing removes the power that money can have over us and realigns our faith with the God who gives all that we need. It's our prayer that you would find ways this week to be generous and you would think about your giving and your tithes and your offerings.